Hello, welcome to Only God Rescued Me. I'm Lisa Meister, I'm your host. Today we have Robin Kranig with us. She is a survivor of SRA, and she has a ministry with her husband called Ritual Abuse Refuge, and you can find it.com on the internet. You can find it on YouTube. They've got some videos out. You can find them on Instagram. Robin is here today to share her story, and she has started a series on what the church needs to know about SRA, which is fascinating, and I hope you can find her on YouTube at Ritual Abuse Refuge and listen to what she has to say. It's very important. Also, a reminder that I have started a Buy Me a Coffee slash uh, Only God, and you can find me there, and if you would like to add to my ministry, I would really appreciate it. I need some new equipment, and that would be very helpful in putting out these podcasts. So join us today as we talk to Robin. Thank you. Hello, welcome. I'm Lisa Meister. Today we have Robin Kranig with us, who is from RitualAbuseRefuge.com. She is a survivor and she has a ministry. And I found a very fascinating set of videos that she's making on Instagram and on her website about what the church needs to know. So I really wanted to have Robin here today to give us her story and to share what God is placing on her heart. So welcome, Robin. Thank you. Can you tell me about your background? Um, I'm very Southern um, and uh, uh, from a small town on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Traditional Christian, mostly card-carrying Christian. Um, my grandparents, my grandfather was a pastor. I had always remembered um, uh, a very disturbing childhood um, and at some point, and, and I knew that he had sexually molested me because he did that during the day uh, when I wasn't drugged or under hypnosis. Um, over the years, I had um, certain dysfunction, nothing that was too unusual, but I kept getting myself in destructive relationships. At some point, um, I had to take God. He was my foundation, but he was not the filter that I was looking things through. through. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so at that point, um, I started a, a prayer regimen of at least two hours a day. And I had been doing that church at home because I, I didn't like the churches. Um, and um, at some point, he, he just kept guiding me and guiding me. And he would take different things that I would see. Like I was telling you earlier, I had hung the um, Lord's Prayer on my wall. And I took time to read it and just absorb it and appreciate it. And I thought suddenly, oh, I memorized that without having read it. And um, the that's not physically possible. At least that's what I thought at the time. And God kept saying, there's more. If things don't add up, there's missing information. So I went back and back and back and ended up just doing a massive amount of growth over a year. Uh, just having that. And I was able not to go through the flashes, you know, to where you're just spurting out all this craziness and deemed a lunatic um, and just, just take two hours a day. And if, if something would come to me throughout the day, I would just sort of file it and then come back to it later. Now, at first I didn't do that right, but I kept working at it to where I could just file the craziness that was going on in my head. And then in prayer, have him explain it to me. And over a year, he, he showed me the perspective of my parents, my grandparents, where they came from, why this was done, how this works. He would tell me how things would work. He would tell me how much I needed to know and not things that I didn't know. He's just absolutely brilliant. 
and he told me to to write it down. So I wrote my memories down when they were fresh, so they didn't get combined with all this other stuff in my head. And then um, I just uh, would write the healing notes on this on the second section of a chapter later that would show how it developed, what he had shown me, and it, it's absolutely glorious. The the difference in me then and now. And he wants me to share that. Can you explain the difference between then and now? Um, fear, fear was, uh, was my driving force. Uh, I w- there was always, and I was set up uh, a lot. There was a lot going on in the, demo- in, the, in the spirit realm to suppress me. And I did have sin. It wasn't like um, the, the most horrible sin ever. I was an ax murderer, but at the same time, I had enough sin to open up demonic doors. I stopped doing that when I went into a life of repentance. Um, I just keep getting better and keep telling him I'm sorry and keep working on it. And he protects me from that. But um, I was under an enormous amount of demonic oppression, um, a fear. Uh, I had a lot of vain imagination going on in my life. Uh, I was always caught in the drama circles and I'm not a drama person. I didn't start the drama, but I was always having all this turmoil in my life and I always keep trying. I worked hard. I have education and I was always struggling, you know? Um, And now I just kind of sit back (laughs) and uh, as long as I'm good with him, everything else in my life falls into place. That's great because you haven't been healing all that long. How many years has it been? Well, it took about a year, and that was uh, about two years ago. Um, that 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 first year where there was the much. I've had another memory come forth after that, which was the hardest and worst. Um, he said that one. You know, you remember the harder things later. Uh, I've heard that everyone does that, but this was an adrenochrome. You know, witnessing adrenochrome, and he he let me get what felt like um, abdominal cramps. It felt like I was getting food poisoning and it would only happen at night, but nothing else would happen. And then I, uh, I had someone pray for me and those abdominal cramps went away. And then all of a sudden I would get high fevers at night, every night for like four nights. And I kind of worried, especially with COVID around, I'm not afraid of COVID, but you know, I was like, well, what is this Lord? And I checked my temperature and my temperature was normal. And he told me, he said, you're not detoxing physically, you're detoxing spiritually. And he made me go back to something, a little thing that I had remembered um, and deal with it. Cause I tried to deny it. He said, no, you're going to have to deal with it. And it's one of the worst experiences I've ever had as far as what I saw in that moment. Wow. You talked earlier about a decoy church that you were abused in. Can you explain that? Um, Some churches um, are not churches. Uh, I know how to spot them. Um, You can see that there's, if you get close to them and you're in them, because there's a lot of people who go to them with the best intentions to serve God, you know, um, they do do that. And I think that they don't see the fruit, but from the outside, they always hid, um, they always hid everything they want. No, no, there was all the same families and they'd always, always been together. They'd always been saved. They had never gone to prison, never cheated on their wife. There was no dirt there. Not that there needs to be dirt in people's lives, but when you can't see any flaw, there's flaw that's hidden. You know, no one in the entire church, you know, the, the, the long-term members had ever had any problems. Um, there are certain things that they're doing and this, 
this was the complete opposite. None of the people that I saw during the day at church services were there at night that I know of. Of course, they were cloaked often, but it was a completely different thing. They had demonic portals. They had a cherub coming through a door. They had they had they had adrenochrome. They they stuck a, a life uh, a huge hook all the, like a fish hook through a child to bleed her to death. The worst of the worst went on there. So um, I can see them now. We went and visited a church that was kind of being questioned um, a while back, and it's definitely a decoy, which eats me alive. I know they're around. They're very legalistic. They have to have charismatic worship. They have to have spiritual worship, which is not a bad thing necessarily. They have to be legalistic to keep the hierarchy in control. Uh, their symbol is three crosses, which is a problem because it's often a Christian symbol as well to have three crosses, but they made me draw it and explain to me what it meant. Um, it was full out complete twist. And the only concept that they had to twist to be able to pull off both sides is that they believe Jesus was a dead philosopher. They, they didn't have a problem with the, with the crucifixion. Matter of fact, they liked that. And they would tell me it was going to happen to me because they said, you're going to end up like him if you don't if you don't do what we say because he was murdered and he was brutally murdered and it was horrible but they don't believe that he rose from the grave which changes everything that's the one concept that they had to twist in order to be one thing during the day and another thing during the night and it's way more common way more common Johnny Todd who a lot of people respect and some people don't respect because the man he was a he came out of the occult and he was talking about um and he kind of played both sides and things didn't go well for him but there are testimonies from him that at that moment he was very much telling the truth of his experiences in the occult and he said that he paid for the charismatic movement to start now is it all bad no but there's a lot of decoy churches out there and uh it's it's not good so if someone is looking at a church to go there or not, what are some glaring things that might, to you say decoy church, what could they see that could also say that to them? Um, people who uh, consistently quote scripture word for word out of, outside of context. Now, I think every believer has been wrong about what context they put scripture in. But when it's consistently, when they solve an argument with saying, this is, it is written, you know, and they'll say this, but when you sit down with God, the scripture that they're quoting does not apply to the subject matter that you're talking to. That is one of their main things because they use the Bible. They worship it as if they can put it, you know, and it, uh, thank God for Holy scripture, but they use it as a, as a God, because you can take the written word and twist it how you want to. They do this very well. And it's infuriating. Well, and that's um, what the devil said in, in Eden to Eve did, you know, God not say, you know, he, that devil's always twisted scripture. And oh, we yeah. need to understand that. Yeah. Right. They do that very well. They don't have flaw in their hierarchy. Um, if you have a pastor who you can sense uh, or discern that something's very wrong, but you see nothing on his record, you see nothing, um, uh, no humility saying, you know, when I was a kid, I, I made this mistake and that mistake, that humility to say, I haven't always been perfect and I'm working on certain aspects, even if it's just, you know, I smoked cigarettes for a year when I was a teenager. <laughs> You know, it doesn't have to be horrible, 
But if you don't have humility in your leadership and they, they are dominant or scary, that, that's a main thing. That's not Christ-like. Jesus is not scary, not unless you're going against him, but very loving and kind. If you can't see Jesus in the church in the hierarchy, that's a main thing. That's a good point. Because we, I don't think we should be afraid of churches, but no. we got to have discernment. Because like the church that I was in growing up, well, for seven years where I found, really found Jesus and got saved, got filled with the spirit and everything. The pastor was a legit pastor who loved the Lord, but my dad infiltrated, became the worship minister, you know, messed things up from the inside, but the pastor had no idea. You know, he didn't know. So it was not the church itself doing it. It was cult members going into the church and messing it up. So that's not a decoy church, but it's, you know, we need more discernment. Oh, that 100%. And I yeah. think for me, it was learning that I am the church and I can have church all by myself. Um, the church is a group of people. It's the body of Christ. It's not the building. It's not Saturday, right. you know, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night thing. It's every minute of the day. And when you realize that it becomes easier. Right. Yeah. Can you tell me what your vision is about what the church needs to know? Um, I think the church needs to take um, responsibility and uh, take an active effort. We need to be talking about this in the pulpits. We need to be admitting it's real. We need to get rid of the idea that you don't talk about devil worshiping. I've heard that so many times. We're not supposed to talk about devil worshiping. No, you're just not supposed to participate. And we don't have to talk about magic. Uh, you know, I have an interesting perspective because I never learned it because I never renounced and it was supposed to be training and I never renounced in my training. So I never learned that magic, but we don't have to talk about that. We have to go move forward very actively and offer the children somewhere to stay. When I was a little girl, the church did nothing but hurt me. And I'm, it's not that I'm mad now, but I'm just saying, hey, guys, are we still doing this? Are we still just... Where, the, where are these kids supposed to go? These kids are being raised think that they're sexual objects. They've been altered. They've been programmed in ways that most people don't want to admit is even true. And we're not doing anything about it. We had to take, are we the body of Christ? Christ died for this. What are we doing for these kids? What are we doing for these grown people who want to come out but aren't being shown that repentance is protection from the occult? Um, I get a little angry, but it's just a bit frustrating that we're not working forward to build prayer retreats, to, to offer counseling, to educate ourselves. Almost every Christian I talk to knows absolutely nothing about how to help a ritual abuse survivor. Even those who are, going, who are opening up to it and saying, yeah, this is really going on. There's too many people saying this. We know we need to do something. They're completely ignorant of what to do about it. And it's infuriating. We've got to start moving forward and educating other believers about how to stop this, how to help. What do you do for the little kids? You know? And it, it's so early in childhood and we're talking about babies. You know? Right. Okay. So let's, let's break it down to the nursery level. What, what would you recommend for nursery workers? Because the baby's not going to say, hey, I'm being ritually abused, you know, or I'm being abused in any way, shape or form. So how can a nursery help 
babies? Um, well, they don't, uh, a nursery worker doesn't exactly have uh, spiritual authority over the children. Right. But we have the authority over is our own behavior. And we can ask the Lord to show us because all of this is so far over our heads, which is beautiful in a big way because it forces us down to our knees in complete submission to God. And if, if I was working in a nursery school, I would be praying over each one of my children to have to God, God to show me what he wants me to do. Let me be his hands and feet in these children's lives. It's not about calling the police. It's about doing what God is telling you to do. And uh, just praying on every one of them and loving them and showing them Christ because they need some example, all of them, even if it's not this extreme of abuse, all of the children need to see Christ around them. I love that. Praying over the babies is so important because a lot of those kids aren't going to have anybody praying over them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that can change the course of their life right there. Right. Okay, right. so we get into, let's say, the toddler years in a church. How do we minister to toddlers? I think it's um, showing them how to deal with their disagreements, um, not to dominate. Um, Being wicked and witchcraft is about making things happen your way, which is always off, even with the smartest and best of intentions of any of us. Um, And in toddler years, I know that they are learning how to um, to deal with their disagreements. Do you hit? Do you hit back? Uh, Do you take what you want? Um, They need to be shown the love of Christ. I had I, I was at a dinner uh, one night and these um, two, three year old was taking the plate of a kid that was four or five. And he was uh, kind of the bulldog little boy. He was he, he, he I want your plate. So I'm just going to take it. And the four year old went and gave him made him made him the little boy a plate with all the stuff that he wanted on it. And then they were both happy. And that's what the kids need to see. They need to see us make each other's plates. You want what I have? Okay. Well, let me show you how to get it. You know? Right. And, and I think two-year-olds need to see it more in action and they need the prayer. They need the constant prayer. They need, you need to pray what God wants you to do. What God, what do God, what do you want me to do? Cause it won't be what you think, you know? But as the kids get older and you start recognizing that some of the kids in your ministry might have some bad things going on at home because uh, you know a lot of people are like I want to go to the police and fix it that way but in my experience that's not going to fix things for the child so what do you suggest uh again step by step what God um what what God ask God what do you want what do you want me to do because it sometimes he'll tell me to do things that I would have never imagined was the right thing um, he has all knowledge. Um, lead by example, as always. Um, believe the children. And a lot of times, particularly with ritual abuse, we talk, they make it so bizarre. No one is ever going to believe anything you say. If I had started talking openly to people, um, uh, they would have institutionalized me. So a lot of times when I meet someone, a child or an adult that most people would think needs to just be locked away, they're absolutely not. Just be, just dismiss them. Okay. That's when my antennas go up because I think there's something missing here. Um, 
and um, and and that's a huge step with with children and adults. So, like, what do you mean by uh, someone seems crazy that you need to, your tetas go up? What 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 is it saying to you? Well, if, if people do things for when people behave, they behave the way that they do for a reason. Now, that doesn't mean it's a good reason. <laughs> It doesn't mean that it's not, they're not doing it because their parents taught them wrong. It doesn't mean, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's right, but they do it for a reason. So you have to look for that reason. Why are they behaving this way? Why does, you know, why? And a lot of times uh, the sporadic um, uh, crazy behavior that a lot of ritual abuse survivors come out with in the beginning is, is just, it was planned that way. The occult has been doing this a long time. They know how to protect themselves. They know how to hide. That's what occult means. So they hide in the fact that when people start to remember and they start to process it, they they don't know what they're they don't know what they're talking about. And we were in a conversation once, and this guy said uh, that he just suddenly remembered eating human flesh when he was a kid. People don't want to deal with that. They don't want to hear about that. They want to know what that is. They don't want to know what the truth is. So it seems like insanity when the truth is it's just something that's hidden and you have to look at why they're behaving this way and they'll beg for help. There's so many people that are like, please just tell me, how do I make this stop? Where do I go? What do I do? And it's all, you just have to push them to the good Lord and let, cause you're only his hands and feet. You know, that's all you're doing. So so how can a church start a ministry to help survivors? Um, I think that the pastor needs to mention it in sermons. I, I think they should all get out in front of everybody. They don't have to talk about things that you and I might discuss necessarily in front of the children. Um, but they have to say that, look, we know this is happening. We know that there are people that are, are behaving badly because they're needing love. And a lot of times people, when people behave badly, they need love. And they're not really doing anything wrong. They just don't know how to deal with what they're doing. You know, they just need love. And if pastors would speak out in the pulpits regularly and say, we know this is going on, and here are some signs of it, and then start a ministry, have a few people, maybe someone with some counseling experience, and, and, and sit down and, and say, well, let's have a hotline for people to come in and say, okay, if you're having this and that problem, you can absolutely guarantee when they start this, that it's going to be infiltrated by the occult from the get-go. Within the first five people they contact with, probably four of them are gonna be witchcraft people. Now that's but gonna scare you, most churches and say, whoa, I won't even start then. So how do we get past that? Well, it, I don't believe that if there's not an infiltration in a ministry, that the ministry is not doing any good. I mean, you, if you're doing any good for God, the enemy is coming after you. So if you're waiting for your little safety zone, especially in this day and time, you're not doing the job, you know? I mean, you can just have lip service and have your little uh, banquets and things like that. But if you're not endangering the enemy, he's not going to mess with you. So we need, we need to start making him mad. We need, we need to start making him mad. We need to get out there and do it. And if they're not willing to do it, then, you know, that's not the job. <laughs> the disciples uh, uh, or the 12 disciples were, were hurt very badly 
And they were asked. And if you look at what Christ asked us to do, it's a lot more than what we do do. Right. I like it when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we sacrifice, but it means we got to be willing to put it all in the line. Mm -hmm. And it could start with being embarrassed in front of somebody. You know, if God tells you go say something to somebody, it's like, oh, that would be embarrassing, right? It could be time because it's going to take time and it can go all the way to death and everything in between. But, you know, what's our life down here? Maybe 70, 80 years, you know, let's, let's, let's impact for the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, We'll be home in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So. You also have a heart for helping people in the occult to get out. You said earlier to me that there are people that want out and they just don't know how. So can you talk about that? I've noticed that a lot of the other uh, ritual abuse survivors, and I've thought a lot about like, and in, in my time of abuse, why did my handler say things like that? Um, I think that the children, I never renounced in my training, but the children who did had it a lot worse. And I can look back on their Facebook pages and they are broken people. There's one girl that died pretty early from just a dangerous lifestyle. Um, The boys that were trained to please the men, they look horrible. Um, I'm coming out a lot better for that. Uh, What was your question? (laughs) First of all, what do you mean by they didn't renounce? You didn't well, renounce. Um, I, I was, um, they had, what the way they presented it to me was that I was to be uh, given magic, trained, we're going to help you, we love you. They told me I had a spiritual gift because I was one of them. I had a spiritual gift because God made me that way. I had the gift of discernment. But they took that, twisted it, and said it was something else. And told me I was a natural born witch and acted like we love you so much. And, but we want you to understand that Jesus is dead. And I already knew, I already had a basis of relationship with him. I already had that, even though my family, some of them had a little bit, but mostly we were the card carrying Christian types, but I had a real relationship with God. So I had to do this ritual where I was supposed to pee or spit on a Bible. And then I was supposed to say, Jesus is dead over and over again. And then she had made me a cross that um, it was it was a big deal that I was supposed to have made the cross, but she made it for me. It was made out of little sticks and just tied with a ribbon. Okay, and I was supposed to turn it upside down and say, Jesus is dead over and over again and break the arms off of it. And then I was supposed to say, Jesus is dead over and over again. And I was supposed to be very convincing. And then everybody was going to join me. And then I could be one of them. And they were going to teach me how to defend myself and be all powerful. Well, um, I couldn't do it. And I ended up being tossed around and beaten. And in the worst night of my life was the most beautiful because I called on the name of the Lord. And he physically was there. Wow. He was physically there. It's the most beautiful. I think about it every day. And um, uh, there is no power like that. It was as if every um, molecule in the universe was wailing because he was in a dirty place. He's so pure and he was in a dirty place. The most amazing life. And after that, there was no way that I could believe he was dead because I had seen him. That you is know? beautiful. Mm-hmm. So they wanted you to renounce Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the people that did, 
but you said that you believe some of them really do want to come out. So that was the question. How, how do we help them? Um, I, I, I keep talking about repentance because I know that I was under demonic oppression all my life, um, even though I love the Lord and I had him in my foundation. Um, once I started actively repenting daily, constantly a repentant heart, you know, what can I do better, Lord? And it's not just about the ministry. It's about, did I say a cuss word? Am I holding on to hurt feelings? Um, any of the things and having him search me and tell me, is there anything I need to repent for? Now that I'm in that lifestyle, I'm untouchable and they can walk out of the occult. They can walk out and be free of that. And if we keep telling them there is freedom, there is freedom. They have a bit of a problem because um, they may have to pay consequences for the crimes that they committed or not. But but all demonic or occult control can be stopped and it can be made right. They could have they could pay the consequences for their actions fairly. And they have to know that this life is a short time period. It's just a limp in our reality. Um it's going to be okay. And they have a way out. They have a way out. They don't have to speak publicly about what they know. It's good if they do, but they don't have to. And freedom is, is free. It really is. I think in that way, it, the church could destroy the occult from the inside out. Because when we look at a lot of these testimonies and people who participated in it as adults, and they were the abusers, they wanted out a long time. And, 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 and it's so easy. So they're also afraid of being killed by the members of the groups that they get out of, that they're going to come after them, dismember them horrifically before they die. I mean, that's a real concern for them as well. So there would be a lot of fear to leave the cult as an adult. Right. And I don't, I don't think that they can. I mean, I've had them. Um, I've been threatened on multiple occasions. I've had an anesthesiologist tell everyone to clear the room right before they would put me to sleep. You know, I need some time alone for, with her and all of the other nurses and that were in the room preparing to have my medical procedure said, what? Um, I, I woke up just fine. You know, did they, did they chip me? Maybe I don't care. God can, you know, they could put chips in me. I, I don't care. Um, the God can get rid of it, deactivate it, whatever he wants to do. There is no power among a power of these people. They're not going to hurt you. Demons are beneath me. I can command them. The occult members, they can't do anything to them that my God won't allow to. And he doesn't allow anything happen to me that I can't handle and that doesn't serve him. It's not a random thing here. You know, <laughs> you just just give it all to him. Keep improving. And you do have that. He may expect a person. God doesn't pay our consequences for us. Typically, <laughs> his wisdom is is uh, uh, a lot more than mine. But typically, he doesn't pay our consequences for them. And if they committed crimes in the occult, they may have to face that. They may not have to face that. But if they hand it to God, they're going to be so much better off than anything. You know, because it gives you peace inside. That's where God's power really comes into play. Mm -hmm. He can set you free on the inside. The cult's going to make you more and more terrorized. And you can be in jail and still be terrorized, but you can be in jail and still be at peace inside. Yeah, be in peace inside, complete happiness. And, you know, uh, 
it's just so much better. There's nothing they can do to a person to make me ever regret it. Ever. Yeah. With you there. We also talked earlier about the satanic panic of the eighties and you were talking about some staggering numbers of, uh, reports in at police departments. Can you talk about that? Sure. There were, um, in the early eighties, there was a, a book written called Michelle remembers. And, um, after that, there was a lot of talk in the media about, um, satanic ritual abuse and it was deemed, uh, mass hysteria. Um, to this day, therapists will be, they cannot speak about it. They cannot deal with it because there were so many of them jailed and fined and lost their license. Um, uh, there are huge, there's a society that's, uh, of professionals that are saying you cannot recover memories, all of this. Okay. So what people are not talking about and all of this satanic panic um, is the fact that after Michelle Remembers was published, there were more than 300,000 people filing police reports saying that something like this, similar, something, some sort of satanic ritual abuse had happened to them as well. Three, within a three-year period, within a three-year period, 300 thousand people file police reports how could they all be delusional right so i'm grabbing my calculator to do that right i'm grabbing my calculator because i want to see three hundred thousand divided by the 50 states that means six thousand a state that's a lot so it's big in every state oh it's everywhere and you know a lot of times people say this is the hot spot a lot of people think Australia. I think Australia, they started experimenting earlier because there wasn't much contact between Australia and the rest of the world for historically. And so they were experimenting there. So they're sort of well-developed. Uh, I say well-developed, <laughs> badly developed in that sense. But there are different towns where people are saying that it's just, it's just, it's the worst here than it is everywhere. You know, it's, it's horrible here. And then somewhere else, it's really bad here. And you know, it's like, oh gosh. And it's so well hidden. So where else is it really bad? And we don't know. So. Right. Well, and in, to understand how these groups work, where they, they have pharmacists and they have doctors, they have police officers, they have lawyers and judges and CPS workers, and they all work in tandem. So like when we become adults and we're not lining up with the, the group, they know that we're the ones that can cause trouble for them. Mm-hmm. So first of all, we start talking about it. We're going to look crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Because what the, Everything they, we talk about is the crazy stuff they did. And they make it crazy because it mm-hmm. makes us look crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Or to say, well, there's no way physically that that could have even happened. Right. And I know some things with me, it's like, I know it didn't happen the way it looked to me as a child because there's no way that that could happen. But with the drugs and their smoke and mirrors shows that they do, they, they can make mm-hmm. kids think a whole heap of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you've got demonic manifestations so you're seeing stuff that's not humanly possible but you're seeing it that really is happening it's very complicated for a survivor so we become maybe older kids older adults we start talking about it then we've got this structure that they've created in our towns 
to tap us down so nobody will listen to us. That's it. That's it. It, it, it is, it is, is really like that. And they do that your entire life. And people, the gang stalking is real. As soon as these people start talking, they're being gang stalked. Every office you walk into, they've got somebody. They do this as childhood and they'll have, um, I remember at my school, they'll announce themselves. You know, hi, you know, I know who you are. You better keep your mouth shut. And the people are cloaked when you're doing it and you don't know who most of them are. So you're, you're completely, and then as an adult, you go to work and then there's somebody at your work setting you up. I was telling somebody recently that when I was young and I was working like fast food jobs, there were two different places in which a coworker told me that I was allowed to drink all the soda that I want. And so I was drinking lots of soda, you know, in front of management because it was allowed. Two different places I worked at that this activity was not allowed. I was being set up to look like a pig. Um, when I look back, those are the memories that I'm dealing with now. I'm like, wow, the whole world was against me. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's like this and people are telling me. And so when they come to us talking about the planes are following me and, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, and I know during my abuse, they did hypnotic delusions where I saw things that weren't there. They tried to convince me that I was talking to Jesus, uh, they made a man look just like him. I mean, when they, um, one time I went to an, a doctor's office, I was never in the doctor's office and God was explaining that to me. And a lot of my healing was God explaining to me what was real and what was delusion, because some of my things that really happened, uh, were demonic. Yes, but they were really happening. They really opened portholes. We really walked through the portholes. You know, all of these things are really real and a person has to sit with God and have him explain it to them because it's designed to be above human capability. It's created by devils, not by people. Right. It is possible to heal. It is possible to come out of the occult and it's only possible because of how big God is. And when we really start getting that nugget of truth inside of us, that starts changing our world. Right, right. One of the things that I did write is that I did have that concept when he was still my foundation and I was still having, uh, I was still outside of repentance. I had started to remember and I managed to give it to him and let him control what I remembered when and how. And that went well for me. And I remember having a very brave prayer. And I said, God, can you just make it like it never happened? Just erase it. Because I know that he has the power to do that. And he said, no. He said, I want you to be who you're going to be at the end of the healing. And I get it now. Didn't get it at the time. But he could do things like that. I mean, I went from a completely different person from when, when, when you're in a year. I was the person who had to know where her keys and her phone were. I could not have my back to a doorway. Um, I was continually on edge. I was warrior chick. I had this um, save the world mentality. I was, uh, and I'm not against survivalism or prep prepping, but I was um, a survivalist in the sense that I was, I was too fearful. I'm all for being prudent. I want to speak against it, but I don't want to deal with fear either. Right. And I was all about that. Nobody can touch me. Right. Oh, that's all wrong. Yeah. And now I just, um, I, I don't even uh, know, 
you know, like my husband handles the money and I'm like, how much money do we have? Okay. <laughs> I, just, I don't care. I don't care. I know I'm only here for a little while. I know that the Lord is surrounding me with people I can trust. Um, and it, it's just a wonderful, good life. I know how to spend two hours just on my face with the Lord. There's just nothing better than that. I think the level of intimacy that survivors can have with God is something that other people can have too. And I think we can show the way on that because we have to have that to survive and to get through. And because there's so much fear that it's, finally finding out what the character of God is. For me, I was just insatiable. I need to know who God is. And I want to know all the aspects of his character. And then it's once you find that out, it's like, I want to be as close as I can get. I want to be yeah. like Enoch where he walked with God, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I guess after I got past, um, I have, I have moments where I get sad and I'm hurt and I'm tired. Yes. But most of the time I'm just, I, I feel almost a sense of privilege because um, having healed from that means that I get it to be on the front row of the glory of God. I've got a front row seat to you, glory. And I had to face the fact that he is all powerful and all even even your top demons, even Lucifer himself has nothing on my God. And as long as I'm standing next to him, even if I hurt, it's going to be OK. And it's just wonderful life. I wish my listeners, this is a podcast, so people can't see you, but we're Zooming while we're talking. So I get to see your face and if our listeners could just see the joy that just emanates from you and the smile that you have. It's just very contagious. And that can only come from incredible healing that only God can bring to an SRA survivor. Because it's, it's still amazing to me that we get up at all, even with God's power, you know, but that we can. And overcome is used so much but it is what the devil meant to squash us with god can rise up inside and go oh no i'm gonna breathe new life and just give you something yeah he does one little touch and you're just (laughs) i know amazing life it's the most amazing life and I, i wish that um wish this wasn't happening you know and i i remember uh during my year of very intense healing, just getting, I went to a Catholic church. I'm not a Catholic, but I needed to light a candle because I needed, I needed to do something. And so I'm alone in this big church and, and I'm like lighting a candle, begging him. I said, they're taking the kids tonight, Lord, you know, and you know, they're taking the kids tonight and there's nothing I can do. You know, I wanted to go buy a bunch of guns and stuff and all, but I don't have the power. That's not the way. And uh, he said, well, I didn't leave you. He said, what makes you think I'm leaving them? Yeah, that's the hardest part for me. There were the kids mm-hmm. going into it still. And, you know, I've interviewed moms whose kids were taken from them when they tried to stop it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just in them knowing. From the rooftops. We yeah. should be screaming from the rooftops. We've got a mother trying and, you know, there's a lot of cases of that. And that's part of why Wilford Wong went to jail. The way right. He did. It's because he was standing with a woman who wanted to protect her child. And then we're going to have an infiltration of people saying that they're protecting the child and they're just causing trouble. 
Right. We have to give it all to God, have him tell us what to do. The one thing about dealing with the enemy that I've learned is to stop thinking. Put your ego in your pocket. You stop thinking. And it's God, what do you want me to do? What, what next step? Next step? Next step? Because it's so far above our uh, uh, knowledge or capability of doing, but we can be a part of his greatness and to stop this if we will go step by step in what he says doing. But I do know, know we need to be screaming for the rooftops that these women are not are not being allowed to protect their children. I hear this constantly and I've heard it from women who were abusing the children. It's all very infuriating, but it's temporary. Right. Yeah, if we only grow up for 18 years. <laughs> I'm still not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but they have power and authority over us for about 18 years. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 And then we get control. It might take us a long time to find God, find our way out, find healing, find mm -hmm. what we need, but we are not completely controlled once we hit 18. Right. Right. Um, and I think. And I, I know as a parent, and I see a lot of people, it's important to break the generations, generational curses on our children while they're young. Because when they hit the age of accountability and they become aware of right and wrong and the push and pull, and um, they start sinning, okay? And, um, and, and we're teaching them to, to, to accept Christ and all of that is good, but we also have to break the generational curses before they hit at the age of accountability so they don't have the weight of the uh, alcoholism and the pedophilia and, and, and the things that we didn't weren't told about in our family bloodlines because the most proper of families are the worst of families often. With, with the historical damage, we have to break those those generational curses so that it starts off. And it has to be the mother and father that does that. Just like we were talking about working in nursery, I would love to break all the generational curses off the children. I don't have the authority to do that. Um, but as parents, we need to be coming to the Lord, putting a hedge of protection around our children and breaking their curses and then giving them the instruction. It's more than just giving them in the instruction. Uh, you, you not only have to talk the talk, you have to walk the walk and you have to get these curses off the kids early. Uh, highly and suggest. as a parent, you do have that authority. Yes. As a parent, as a parent, we have to do that over our offspring right. or adopted children or sometimes step parents. That can be. And you can ask God, what do I have the authority to do and what I don't? Um, a, a parents do have some authority over their grown children, but if, the, if they try to pray off uh, curses off of the grown children, then the kids will bring it back in with their own sin. They have to be repentant. <sighs> so it's not all easy. But it's not horrendously complicated either. No, it's not. And you know what? Um, I've been thinking about this a lot. The occult has one bag of tricks. And if we sat and like, completely compared our experiences it would probably be at least 80 percent the same thing that happened to you that happened to me right you know and it's the same thing for the different crafts the africans do it in a different kind of cultural way and then the, the, you know the the english will do it in a different way but it's all the same thing and it's all the same curses so a lot of times when i'm talking to other survivors uh i'm able to say well i, I, I fix that here's how you fix that you know, and this works and that doesn't work because it's one bag of tricks. They put delusions in your head. They infect you. You're not thinking all your thoughts. It's all the same thing. What would you like to say to society? Ooh, society. You mean as in the world? Yeah, <laughs> yeah just non-Christian, Christian alike, just, just everyone. General. 
we don't have a choice. None of us have one little bit of a choice, but to surrender to the will of the almighty God. You don't have a choice anymore. They can get your kids. They can come in your house. They can take your kids out of your house. They can rape. They can take everything from you. They can, they can starve you to death. They can do anything. It has come to the point where the only refuge is that under the protection of the almighty God, which is easy and glorious. You're going to mess it up at first. We all do, but you just keep getting back on. And, and when you think you're not doing it right, you're doing it. And it's not about going where you're going. It's not about your 10% taxes. It's not about Sunday morning. It's not about Wednesday night. That is not the church. The church is the body of Christ. He asked us to leave everything. Now, that may not mean what, for me, what it means to someone else. Because I came into it with a harder role than I hope most. But it doesn't mean, we don't have a choice but to submit to the will of God. That is the beauty of all this horror is that it is forcing us to onto our knees and to say, you are all powerful. You know everything. You can do almost anything. He can do anything except what he said he won't do. And, and he loves us, you know, each one of us, even he loves us for who we're going to be. Anyway, I could go on all day about that one, but I think at its core, it's, we don't have a choice. You don't have a choice but to submit to the will of God. Stop playing around with all of that and just sit with him. He's always listening. He's always talking to you. Just him. With our Jesus, of course. That's right. That's great. What do you want to say to survivors? So there is refuge. There is hope. There is love. You're going to be okay. This life is temporary. Um, the occult will spin you around Stop spinning and listen to the voice of God. Just sit with him. Just be still and know that he is God. And if you'll do that, schedule it into your day to sit with God. Just sit and know that he's God at first and ask him, put me in a cocoon. I used to say, put me, put me in my bubble. Lord, put me in my bubble. And, and some days I would get so scared and so freaked out. And I would say, just put me in my bubble for a minute. And he would just put me in this bubble where I knew I was, un I, uh, I couldn't be hurt. And, and he has a bubble for you. You know, he has a bubble for each one of us. He'll put you in his little bubble and then you guys can work it out. That's good. I like that. You bring so much hope that, you know, your voice is very calm and you're very encouraging and very practical steps that I appreciate. Robin, is there anything you wanted to add today? Mm -mm -mm. I had written notes and now everything, I think we covered it without me looking at my notes. Um, uh, uh, uh. I think that, that, that to go back to the fact that we just don't have a choice but to submit to God, not your preacher, you know, not your denomination, uh, not your, not, not these, these legalistic standards that we think are in the Bible, twisted turns, just sit with God and say, I submit to you, you help me grow. Cause I would tell you wrong. Cause I don't know everything, but we don't have a choice, but to submit to the will of the almighty God with everything that we have in the way that he wants us to do it. So we can move forward. Otherwise it's, it's, uh, it's it's a it's a meat market out there right and give up our desire for his 
What's your yeah. desire for my life today? I think it only make, takes one time. Like with my husband, I, um, I had been single a long time and I had a lot of walls up and at some point, which I put up on purpose, you know, to stay out of the dating scene. And, um, I had, um, uh, eventually said, Lord, I would like to get married. And he wanted me to say, what do you want in a husband? And, um, when I met my husband, I no clue. And for the longest time, I'm like, well, that's not him. That's not him. That's not him. And now that I've, I'm married and happy. I realized that what he knew for me was best for me was so much better than anything I could have ever imagined. All you have to do is see that one time that his idea was so much better than yours that you're going to go, you know what, this is what I want, Lord, but what do you think? And you're, you're in control and it, it works. Right. That's good. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Robin, thank for being you. here today. I really love this conversation. I think I think what you're doing is very important. I think it's very powerful and God bless you as you work this ministry. And I'm very excited to see where it goes and to see the new videos that you have coming out. So again, Robin Kranig, and she is at ritualabuserefuge.com. I found her on Instagram. Uh, where else can they find you? Uh, that's it. I also have my testimony for free on ritualabuserefuge.com. You can get the ebook cover. Um, I also have a YouTube uh, channel, ritualabuserefuge.com, and we do Twitter and Instagram. All that you can connect to on my um, on my website. And I forgot to mention too, your book is called Surviving the Occult. So that is your testimony, right? Yeah. So that's what you have free on your website for people mm -hmm. that want to download it. So wonderful, and go follow her. She needs followers and people yeah. listening to what she has to say, because it's very important. So thank you, Robin. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today with our interview with Robin. Again, you can find her at ritualabuserefuge.com. Go see what she's got going. Also, I want to thank you for being my listeners. You're being so supportive, and I really appreciate you coming along for the ride and listening to the survivors and listening to the ministers and hearing what's on everybody's heart. We can expose satanic ritual abuse one story at a time, and we can help survivors one minister at a time. And it takes all of us working together. So thank you for your support.